I mean, you um, sound a little weird, but we're going to get through it. <laughs> I am uh, sitting in a hotel room in the woods of Wisconsin right now. I, um, I, that's, I mean, you may have to explain that. That doesn't seem like a great place to be. <laughs> we are uh, doing a radio station event at a casino, oh. um, uh, which is uh, across the street from where I'm staying. Um, and so we're kind of. On break in between events, um, and uh, I carved out a little time to watch some TV and talk about it with you. Because you're a hell of a guy and a dedicated podcast <laughs> host. I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> I am. I am. Um, all right. So, huge episode of the challenge this week. Um, the turbo heel turn uh, was was interesting, right? Because we've we're at the Turbo's third season on the show, correct? Yeah. And in first the first season, we couldn't get enough of this guy, right? Correct. Like he's like insane action movie star. Yep. Season season two, and I, I, honestly, I don't have a great recollection of this. He goes home, he loses his temper, gets in a fight, and goes home. Yeah. You know, I think people maybe even trying to bait him a little bit, if I'm recalling correctly. I don't even know. It. I mean, look, nobody on this show is above baiting somebody to try to get them to do something violent and go home, okay? Yeah. That being said, I don't even know if it rises to that level because I think almost everything that has offended Turbo over the last two seasons of his participation, both of which have been rather short, it has been pretty normal challenge behavior. Like, yeah. I mean, have like they this season, right? The, the, what was the thing with the champagne? That was super weird. He just... Like on the boat? Nani, yeah. Nani nailed it. Like, the, and and she seems to like him and want to... Even even given the way this episode he turned out. Like that's, the, that's the weird, right? At the end, he's like... I'm still rooting for Nani and Bananas. Yes. You well, know, so, so I think Nani nailed this, and it's part of why she would be my MVP of the episode. I thought she handled everything in the best possible way. She tried so hard with him. And, and like, I, I would say <laughs> it took an admirably long time for her to get fed up and quit it and just throw him in. But when she explained, like, Turbo demands so much respect to such a like absurd degree from everyone all the time in everything that he like can't take a joke and also as a result 
does not give much respect to anyone because he's so busy being offended all the time. Yeah. And yep. so, like, that's just not a way you can function on a show where everyone's giving each other a hard time all the time. Yeah. And, like, if you're going to, like, I mean, realistically, right? Like, if you're going to go around calling people pussy chicken, you know what I mean? Like, there has to be, like, but, the, like, Devin makes a joke. To that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Everyone's <laughs> right? a pussy or chicken. That doesn't really play. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, everyone's a pussy chicken, but Devin makes an innocent joke about the knives, and you lose your shit. It's not going to work. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just doesn't work. And it wasn't clearly wasn't working for anyone in the house, and I think they did a good job of illustrating that. It was, you know, it wasn't out of nowhere either, right? Like, if you watched him last week, you know, you could kind of already feel him making everyone uncomfortable, right? Yes, and sort he- of like setting up vendettas, you know what I mean? A hundred percent, because he walks around with his chest stuck out, ready to lose his temper on anyone who offends him. And offending him is the easiest thing in the world to do. So, no, like, of course no one's comfortable around him. Um, my first note, of the, you know, this episode was, wow, Turbo's really good at heel turn. And my that, first... that was... Five minutes in before we got into all the stuff that would eventually happen. Okay, so my first note about Turbo was actually a quote because he still delivers exceptional quotes. And one of them was, I love the Nani. I, I love the Nani. Just excellent. Because I also love the Nani. And, but my second note was Turbo is determined to be unfun. And at the end of the day... Like, as good of a potential competitor as he might have been in some parts of this game. Being determinedly unfun is a great way to get yourself eliminated. Yeah. Yeah, just being, like, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, being an energy vampire or a yep. guy who's just a drag to be around um, or a guy who's really bothering everyone. And I think right. he was literally was just like... It wasn't just that he had beef. He was, like, making people feel uncomfortable, I think. You know what I mean? Even his partner. And, like, I feel terrible for her. And, like, I understand she was like, look, I came in here with my ride or die, and I'm going to ride or die. And she died, uh, proverbially speaking. She seems great. She does. I I had that note as well. Like, I felt bad for her because she seemed pretty normal and rational and grounded and – She had this look on her face in all of these moments when she, like, you know, locked eyes with any other person in the game that very clearly said, like, written all over her face, just said, listen, I know, but he's my guy. (laughs) You know? And, And, like, I appreciate. You can't really separate from him. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to be like Nadi. You got to just try to ride it to the top and hope that he stays quiet. You know what I mean? That's right. That's right. And when he stop, when he starts not staying quiet, you you just look at people and you have a big old shrug on your face, you know? And that's what she did. And I, I felt terrible for her. And I also respect both the loyalty and the look of, like, exasperated sort of apology to everyone that he's snapping on for no reason. Um, but ultimately, I think it becomes good riddance because, like, he was just not fun. Yeah. No, no, he was like. I mean, it, it needed to happen. It's, it's. You know, a lot of times when you see the house, 
ganging up on one team in elimination to kind of like, I don't know, it bugs me, but this was what I think where sort of everybody was with it. You know what I mean? Well, and I think Even it Turbo represents kind of it. <laughs> right. It, it represents something very important in this game that that we've notably seen a couple of obnoxious competitors lose sight of over the last couple of seasons, which is like your your social game is not just important so everyone in the house is happy and you like have the right alliances. It can literally lo- win or lose you an elimination. Yeah. And yeah. and and when people freak out and are like, "No fair!" They were helping the other one. It's like, yeah, that's part of the game. That's not against the rules. In fact, it's sort of part of the whole essence of this show. Like having the people who are willing to publicly out themselves as wanting you to win is important and helpful. Um. I thought her uh, Horacio and Olivia have been playing a very good social game, but it did sort of, and obviously it helped them ultimately survive that elimination, but it also sort of put them in the elimination in the first place. You know what I mean? Well, honestly, I think it was their, I think it was Horacio's performance, not uh, both of their performance in the daily challenge, not their social game really that put them in because Johnny was going <clears> to <throat> put three rookies in no matter what. Um, right, and and I I think, you know they they could have chosen another rookie team and might have, but Horacio opened eyes, man. The way he ran, like, like all in one motion, reached the top of the rope ladder, ran across the platform, leaped onto the rope, and swung onto the other platform was some truly action movie star stuff and not one other person was even brave enough to try that, that we saw the rest of the challenge. So, yeah, I don't, um, I can't recall seeing TJ is impressed by someone in a daily challenge. <laughs> well, yeah, he just, <laughs> he was right there. He did it like it was a coordinated stunt that he'd been practicing for a week. You know what I mean? Like, he yeah. just was so smooth running, jumping, swinging, landing. It made the the challenge look easier than it turned out to be. Uh, and I yeah. think that was what opened people's eyes and made them a target. But to be honest, like, I, I love this team. Horatio and Olivia is an immediate, like, I don't even know if they can be a sleeper anymore. Yeah, well, look, if he's going to keep kicking ass in challenges, then she's going to continue to be kind of a hilarious delight. Well, also, um, let's not underrate her performance physically because very few of the women were able to make that jump. Very yeah, that's few. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And, and I think uh, it would have, like, I don't think, <laughs> like, Fessy embarrassed himself and, and I think Nelly too, but, or no, no, Nelson got up. But uh, I I think, you know, their partners likely would not have been able to do it either. It was really just the best female competitors who were able to get across. Yeah. Did Laurel get across? I don't even I don't even recall at this point. I some people they went really fast. on. Yeah, I think Laurel did. I'm. Jack might not have gotten on. I oh, yeah. Jack had a brutal fall. So Laurel never tried. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I think. 
Casey versus Laurel uh, is, could be an interesting battle this season, right? Those are two I mean, alpha women, yeah. all-time female contestants who have not, I don't think, have opposed each other yet. So No, I'm um, not even sure they've been on the same uh, season. So Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah Laurel so. hasn't been there since, right? I mean... It's been a minute, yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm with you on that. Obviously, I I will say though that I I'm I'm a big Devin and Tori guy, uh, and I think they have sort of established themselves now as one of the top competitive teams with the with the uh, daily performance. Um, but. The the banani propaganda totally worked on me. I'm all in for Nani to get her title, man. <laughs> I'm, I, I just want it. I it. want it for her are you, are you so badly. The nickname though, because I'm not sure how I feel about it. It it's one of those nicknames that, like, the first time they said it, I think I threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> but as they say it again and again, I'm finding myself repeating it. <laughs> Banani yeah, for I life. It's uh, look. Obviously, it's, it it comes easy from from the combination of their names. But man, I don't know. I'm having a hard time with it. <laughs> yeah, it feels like it needs an extra syllable or something. Like it just, it's upsetting. I'm, I agree with you, but it's growing on me <laughs> with repetition. Maybe you should have the S Bananis. No, that's not no. better. I don't know. um i um i really thought that uh this was uh just kind of an interesting strategic like example of banani um yeah and like like obviously look they're you know johnny's good at challenges yeah um you know that we've seen that before, but you kind of forget. Well, and Nani made really the jump. Had to, had to play the game. Yeah, and Nani made the jump. Not, I'm not taking anything away from from Nani as well, but I thought that that Johnny's Johnny had it down of like let's here's a chance to not only take three rookies out of the game since they're clearly coming for us, but we can also expose um, who's working with who. It's an opportunity, and and it all played out exactly the way he wanted. And I have you know. I've been I've been known to have some strategic objections to people's strategies in these deliberations, and that you know I think they handled it about as well as you can. Yes, and and I think that's the benefit to both the watcher and to frankly the other players to have Johnny in the game. If a long term benefit to the other players, like I, I don't I'm not I'm not mad at at Johnny Middlebrooks for stirring shit up in the first week like i think it makes for a better show um but now he's gonna see how the vets do it you know yeah and he um, it. I, you know what i mean like i think he handled it well like, he think he yeah. like yeah you know honestly i, I brought him under the heat and now i gotta face it you know yeah everyone in this game with the single exception of turbo has handled everything pretty well so far i think yeah, I think you can maybe throw Michelle in there a little bit. <laughs> okay, but she got herself together. I, I, you're right. Her initial reaction to the whole business was absurd. Um, and I've, I have several versions of that written down in my notes. Michelle is crazy. Michelle, I did. I, however, 
she is very right about Johnny doing too much in general. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Jay going, but he's my friend, was was an incredible moment. And it was like, oh, well, I think we know what they're going to do here. <laughs> uh I, I also thought Jay's analysis of Michelle, because Jay was like, Michelle is basically losing her mind and over-dramatizing everything. <laughs> and I was like, yep, he gets it. Um, yeah, I like Jay a lot. It's, it's weird. It seems like the house has, none of the houses that he's been in have really warmed to him. Um, you know, he always has like one or two friends in the house. <laughs> well, you <laughs> know what? I think he's he's a little bit on the normal side for that house. I think it weirds people out when there's just kind of a normal person. Um, But yeah, he, he's, he's also like sneakily, nobody's super excited about going against Jay. He's a pretty, uh, he's a pretty serious competitor, but getting back to the banani thing, I like to me, Devin and Tori and bananas and Nani, and you can throw, you know, Casey in there too, if you want, is the final that people want. Um, yeah. Like Devin and Bananas, I can very easily picture Devin and Bananas who, you know, seem to be friendlier than ever, essentially controlling the game throughout and then competing against each other in the finals. Yeah. I mean, look, I just, there, you know, there are some people here I mean, look, I think Nani is, you know, deserving me. And I, you know, I think she's sort of getting this Leroy storyline so far in the season. But yeah, um, <laughs> she's great. not. She is, more she's deserving. getting a Leroy edit. <laughs> yeah. She's not more deserving of winning than, uh, say, Anissa, who's uh, lurking. <laughs> yes. I'm assuming about to be introduced any second into this game. It's very um, strange the way they did this, though, no? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like, why do they just? I mean, I get the, the Jordan Tory stuff, but you still get that if you bring them out at the same time. Like, why well, don't I don't really understand that part? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was just a flight delay issue or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it was. It was that part was very weird. But it's also hard to say. Like, is Nani any more deserving than Tory? Tory's on what eight seasons now without a win. Gosh, is it that many? No, not she's like not. I, she's like practically speaking, objectively speaking, she's no more deserving than. You know, any of the other uh, ringless vets, so to speak. Uh, but I just, I, I like I said, the propaganda worked for me in this episode. It was a lot of Nani propaganda. I really, like, re-experienced her journey from an emotional standpoint. And I'm, I'm ready for Nani to win. Yeah, well, and you got the, you know, you got the whole mom stuff, too. That's tough. That's oh, tough. God. Yeah. Come on, man. Oh. That stuff. But you know, Tori's got the right. Well, I mean, I'm sure next week is gonna be a lot about Tori. <laughs> yes. I I I am very confident based on the recent developments on the television and also the uh sort of oblique discussions on the podcast that we are going to have a season that features plenty of Tori. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I have a feeling that she's going to play a big role. All right, so your MVP was definitely Nani. Yes. I think I'd have to go there. I, I think, well, actually, I'm going to give it to Annalise and Tommy. Who okay. 
Oh wait, sorry, no, they're not. They uh, were they even in this episode? <laughs> I thought you were saying for like leaving and and uh, making us feel better. Uh, are they even here anymore? What about? Could you? Do you want to give it to Emmy for uh, for like continuing Nam's brutal run of bad luck? <laughs> I was just about to say, poor Nam, man, that dude just can't catch a break. <laughs> even when he picks his own partner, he goes terribly. I don't get it. Like, how could her quitting have been so boring that they didn't even show us any piece of it? I know. Well, and the other thing is, like, we talked about it last week. Like, that first episode was not the hardest challenge you're going to see. You know what I mean? It seems like a really weird time to be like, I can't act this. And, and like, okay, I will say this. You know, Nam has had bad luck. However, if he brought someone to this challenge – who got muddy and said, ew, I can't do this. That's kind of on him. A little bit, yeah. A little bit. bit. He could have told her ahead of time they were going to get really muddy at some point. (laughs) You know? Like, like, she's like, I'm muddy and tired. That's it. I quit. I... Yeah. Yikes. Well, that's one of those teams, you know, a little bit like Turbo and uh, um, Tamara. Tamara? Tamara? We'll um, never know. <laughs> you're right. We will never know. Um, where you don't really know what the bond is so much, you know, like what the how these two got paired up exactly. You know what I mean? There are a few of those where it's it's it feels a little murky, their, their actual ride or dinus. You well, know what but, I mean? Uh, on the other hand, like, Maybe they are real life friends who just haven't had a TV relationship. Which I don't know. It almost makes it worse. I I don't know. I don't. I don't understand. In particular, Emmy. Like tomorrow was a great partner. It. Yeah. Uh, her her veteran fucked her over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, the other thing I would say is like. There's clearly the specter of COVID that was lurking, lurking along this crash. I mean, that's clearly what happened with Casey and Kenny, right? With them. Right. Because TJ even said cleared. Medic- yeah, I think he said medically cleared, I want to say. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Like, that's clearly out there. Although, I don't know why they would have just. Why would you just say that at that point? Like, why? Is it a it's privacy so, issue? It, HIPAA I, I, that's what I was thinking. That it almost has to be a HIPAA issue because. It's so it's like I can't imagine what the television argument for that would be, you know? Yeah. Or like even with the cuz it's like you know, it's like you would have been showing that they had covid months ago. Like I don't even understand like what what the problem with that would be, you know what I mean? Yeah. So um so who knows? Some 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 strange things lurking afoot behind the scenes in, indeed in this episode of the series. So Control of the game, I think, is is belongs to no one at this point, right? Well, that's what I was trying to say last week, is it seems to so depend on who wins the daily challenge. Like, yeah. Johnny and Nani controlled the game throughout this episode. But the minute someone else wins the daily challenge in, in episode three, they'll have complete control. This is as as much a... Daily challenge winner controls the game version of the challenge, as I can remember seeing. Well, and you're bringing a little bit of luck and randomness into the elimination part of it. Totally. Uh, 
But I mean, yeah, still, so, to control all four, every aspect of the elimination besides the final, you know, choosing of the opposition is controlled by the winners. Yeah, all four teams just, that go in, who is definitely going in, all of that is controlled. And I think Johnny just gave everybody a blueprint for how to utilize the random draw to help your strategic social game. Um, right, correct. And I, I do think there's a point where the numbers may shift in a way that will allow someone to have control in the game, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if one alliance gets too big or um, – but I guess even then you could really – you have a chance to really take a couple of people out at any point in time. So um, I, I really like the way this season is, is formatted, uh, and I think it's going to bring us a lot of intrigue. Yes, I totally agree. Um, I'm very excited about this. Um, here's some other things I wrote down. Uh, Olivia, we mentioned earlier. Uh, like I said, I think she's a sleeper physically. Like, yes, she's delightful and her social game seems really good, but she made a jump that far less than half of the women in the competition were able to make. And when she came off, she seemed, like, energized and excited in the sort of post-challenge interview. And, and she finished it by saying, at the end of the day, I'm here and I'm a savage. <laughs> um, she is, she um, you know, for giving out an ITM MVP, it's definitely her. Yes. The, for this week. She's, she's strong, man. The the show's embracing of the Nelly losing streak is incredible. <laughs> it's I'm, so funny. You, know, you could give Bird of the Week to the producer going, what's the last time you had a daily challenge, Scuba Nelly? <laughs> yes, that was fantastic. <laughs> and the fact that like he just is embracing the comedy of it is beautiful. Yeah. Um. I, I, I thought Jack and Michelle took particularly ugly falls, but in general, that was as good an ugly fall montage as I can remember, and <laughs> it was scored perfectly. Did you catch the way they played the music? No. Okay. Well, I didn't. Like, okay, so so here is my experience of the fall montage. You know, they had, I think it was the, the first couple of contestants, Horatio and Olivia, and then maybe Nelson. And he almost fell in a hilarious way, but he managed to stay on. And then after Norris fell, there you started hearing, like, some, you know, early aughts uh, punk rock, uh, punk pop guitar. And I was like, oh, I know this song. What is this? But they didn't put the little Chiron up that says, you know, the song that they always do right at the beginning of the song, usually. Mm-hmm. And then was there was like, Fall Out Boy? Was this when they, yes. when they were playing Fall Out Boy? Yeah. yeah. There was like one more fall, and then it clicked in with Sugar We're Going Down, and then <laughs> the Chiron came up, and then there were like 15 incredible falls <laughs> off of that platform. And I was uh, first of all, I was like, you know what? Uh, this song's pretty good. Uh, I I I'd never had much love for Sugar. We're going down, partly because it was so annoyingly ubiquitous in its time, um, but it was 
perfect for the fall montage. And, you know, it pretty much rocks at the end of the day. <laughs> it does. I feel like that one's kind of held up, sort of stood the test of time somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah. It wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily have seen that coming back in the day. No, not uh, at all. That's from, funny. From, from my notes, it's like, I feel like that there's a little extra love on this season. You know what I mean? Like, love, there's like a lot of genuine feeling between the different ride or die pairs. There's some extra romance on the season, but I also think there's a lot of just mutual respect between a lot of these teams. Um, and I'm kind of enjoying that. You know what I mean? I think that there's a lot of just appreciation for people and what they've gone through um, on this season. And it's a, it's a nice vibe. I agree. And I would say it's the last thing you said that creates all the rest of it, right? Like j- challenges are vibes, especially at the beginning, because if there's a couple of nasty disagreements, then everybody starts getting angsty. Um, but if it's a lot of like mutual respect and appreciation, and if the rookies come in and sort of behave appropriately, and that's why the entire house was united in getting turbo the hell out of there is because he was like the one bad vibe merchant in the entire good vibe house. And that probably is the actual easiest way to get yourself eliminated from the challenge. No matter who you are is to be the one person bringing down the vibe. Because if you have a good vibe in the early parts of the challenge, like it just becomes a much easier game to play from a mental and emotional standpoint which is significant i don't ordinarily care so much for the party montage scenes um but i did notice in 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 this episode like there was just like people were genuinely happy and smiling through all of them you know what i mean like like kenny you know who like barely talks Has this like huge grin on his face with like these whole party scenes, and I'm you know like Horacio's getting some love, and like I'm just I'm happy for all of them. You know what I mean? Like it was it was good. Um, All right, uh, burn of the week. Where'd you land? Okay, so burn of the week. I had a couple of candidates. Um, (laughs) I there were a lot of good burns in general and about turbo um i i thought the burniest though was the most straightforward honest and like well-intended burn which was nani and she said it two or three times because he wasn't fucking listening uh nani was just like turbo you are the worst at communicating and he is (laughs) He is the <laughs> literal worst at communicating and it got him thrown out of this challenge. And like, uh, yeah, uh, that was good. But for me, I think because we, I, we, we like to have I, a funnier I say lesson learning, by the way, right? Like you learned zero lessons from any of this. Oh my God. Nothing. <laughs> Learn nothing. Um, but I, I, we like to have more fun in the burn of the week. So I am going with a self burn. Um, <laughs> It was uh, as they came out of the water after the daily challenge, I believe, that Devin said, my fingers feel like they have chlamydia. 
and Tori said, how do you know what that feels like? Hmm. And he said, oh, I've had chlamydia several times. Several times, yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did enjoy that. I did enjoy that. Um, I gave an audible mention burn to Johnny, uh, who just in the background, as Colleen and Kim were getting ready to go up on the screen, shouted, let's go, Fabio. Um, yes, that was excellent. I heard that. <laughs> It was great because it wasn't he wasn't even on camera. Like he, he really was, has he a, not yeah. not just a sort of Fabio ish look with the hair, but definitely a like Fabio vibe where he just has a very serious, almost model face on at all times, yeah. and uh-huh. like you can't tell if if there's a brain engaged whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is a great way to put it. Uh, but my winning burn, I'm going to give it to Jay, and this was. Honestly, I don't think he, I think it was an unintentional burn. Like, I don't think he was really trying to burn his own partner. Um, but when Michelle was like uh, losing it and super teary, <laughs> he goes, I don't know if this is how Michelle was survivor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. He was like, I can't tell if these are real tears or. <laughs> and it was just, you could just tell it was just genuine confusion. Yeah. Him. Yep, <laughs> and that's why I think I liked it because it was it was sincere burn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, th- those are always good. It and it was especially funny because the it really was a situation where like as a as a viewer who has watched this show before, you're kind of like she hasn't even gotten sent into elimination. In fact, she's probably you know, she, you know of all the people there, she has a decent chance to avoid it, and it's not. Yeah. Like, why is she having a full-on breakdown over this? Yeah, well, look, as she said herself, she's never been the cool girl with uh, <laughs> with chill. Like, she's got yeah. no chill. So. Yeah, I'm not sure how um, that's going to serve her uh, as time goes on, but it was entertaining in this episode. Yeah, I mean, look, if you can win Survivor with no chill, I guess you can win the challenge, right? Yeah, why not? Oh, look, plenty of people with no chill have won the challenge, so... Yeah. It's not. So. <laughs> it's not draw any conclusions. <laughs> Indeed. Um, all right. I think I think that wraps it up for me. I really enjoyed the uh, next, or sorry, the preview for next week as well. Like I just, uh, I, I'm excited for the level, the baseline nah, level that the season is setting. And also, that's right. Can we keep getting 90 minute episodes? Uh, let's do this. Yep. Love a long episode. Love the way this season has just hit the ground running. Um, I think we have notably talked about f- the last few seasons having a bit of a warm-up period sort of thing going on. Uh, so I'm with you. All of this uh, uh, really, really positive stuff. I'm very excited about this season. Yeah, indeed. All right, uh, should we move on to talk about the uh, TV and stuff? I think we should. Uh, let's start with the redeem teams. It's uh it's fresh in my mind. I just finished watching it. Okay. Um, a lot of ingredients in here um, that I think uh, I would have a lot. Of, I, ha- I I have a lot of trouble with. Hmm. You know, one, it's executive produced by the a couple of the principal the subjects, yeah. <laughs> which is usually a bad sign for a documentary. Um, and two, you know, there's some. I think we could say, hey, hey, geography. 
of two of Absolutely. my least favorite figures in all of basketball, Mike Krzyzewski and Kobe Bryant. Um, uh, yeah, okay. So I feel very similarly about those two figures. I think maybe you have a little more distaste for Kobe than I do, but I'm a serial Kobe uh, underrater, at least compared to Kobe fans, which is most of the damn league. And most of the world at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. And and, and I hate Coach K as much as anyone. Um and and I think it's very notable that in Kobe's case in particular, you know, there's a whole segment in this documentary about like <laughs> it was a tough time for Kobe coming into this and no mention of the fact that a huge part of that was that he was on trial for rape at one point shortly before right. this. Um so, you know, uh, or if not on trial, at least accused. But he was on trial, wasn't he? Anyway, the, the point is, this is hegeographic in ways that I don't love. However, I have to say that with respect to both of those specific figures that I dislike specifically, I did think some of the best parts of this doc were some of the great stories about those two guys. Yeah, no, I was nervous about the the hagiography, and it turned out to be, I thought, really effective hagiography. Like, yes. <laughs> like, some of the Coach K motivational ploys, which I was sure I would find cheesy, like, I, like, wound up stirring me quite a bit. <laughs> he was and, like, <laughs> surprisingly locked in. The fact that he yeah. played Marvin Gaye's National Anthem, like, just some of the stuff that, that, mellow and and wade say about the way he motivated them the manu quote thing i thought was really great you know uh, like what it what it showed was was a coach who was very keenly aware of the fact that he was not dealing with his normal audience and who did a both committed and really quite excellent job of finding the right way to relate to a different audience yeah yeah 100 percent. the chris Collins stuff is uh, uh, sorry, Doug Collins. Doug, stuff. Yeah. Chris Collins, something. Well, both <laughs> like, of them. Care less yeah. <laughs> the Doug Collins stuff is great. Yeah, and and Doug Collins uh, is one of the most lovable people in in my basketball lifetime. So it's easy to to root for Doug, and and that was really awesome. Uh, and I, that was one of the things I did remember. I really didn't remember some of the great things here. Like I had forgotten about Kobe running through Pal. Yeah. Hundred percent. But to find the story about like how he basically like wined and dined him the night before, <laughs> stopped yeah. by the hotel room, said hi to everybody, shaking hands, taking <laughs> yeah. pictures, and then just bam! <laughs> it really is a classic Kobe story. Uh, yeah, the weightlifting story. I feel like I'd heard that one before, but it's also a pretty classic Kobe story. And and, yeah. and one of the things I do walk did walk away with. Um, you know, because I think players revere Kobe. Like, if you're doing like a, a like a player made all time list, it, it always is. He's, he is. he's just very you know complicated. I mean? Yeah, and and that there are unquestionable bad things and unquestionable good things in in that in an all too short lifetime, you know, and the, and the tragic end to his life makes it even more complicated. Uh, but, but I think you put it best. Like 
it, this is hegiography in a lot of ways, but it's a very effective hegiography. Yep. And I do think that, like, the movie experience is, like, it's it's more than the sum of its parts. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's really moving at times. And, like, the game against Spain, you know, the, the final against Spain is really compelling from just, a, just you know, just watching the, those plays back. You know what I mean? I think they did a really good job of taking you through that game and taking you through players' mindsets in that game. Um, and I was, it's weird. Like he came away like crazily impressed by Spain. Like I forgot about like Rudy Fernandez going off. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like <laughs> Ricky Rubio really like lighting the world on fire with his passing ability. That that Spain team was excellent. Yeah. No, it, you know, you watch that and you go, okay, well, I guess I understand why somebody took him over Steph Curry. Yeah. yeah. And it was like Mark Gasol coming into his own with Pau in his prime, you know, like they were good. Yeah, yeah, they were, and they, and uh, you know, and they, like they played as a team. They really, you know, that's another one where I think, um, and I'd say this is another thing that I credit Coach K with. Like he, he understood that you know these other teams were playing in setups that were more like the soccer setups, where like guys had grown up playing together on these teams. And they had an innate understanding of what they wanted to do on the court. Um, and, you know, like LeBron said, like they played the right way, you know. Um, One of the things that's really funny about this is, you know, Larry Brown turns out to be the troll that I think we were both kind of hoping and expecting Coach K would be. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I think it's a perfect illustration of, you know, why – forgetting all of the baggage that comes with Duke and Coach K, like Michael Krzyzewski is just clearly a much better basketball coach, especially for the modern era, than uh, Larry Brown is, period. End of story. Because Brown couldn't, frankly, see past his nose that was smelling his own asshole far enough to respect his players. <laughs> Like, they both, frankly, they had a similar basketball approach in a lot of ways, which was like, we need to play a team system or we're going to get, like, we cannot go play pickup against these teams. They are too good. And he just delivered his message in the most obnoxious, ham-handed way possible. (laughs) Well, and I think the movie, it doesn't, it's not making this point. It just, it just sort of tells you it. Um, you know, I, I think it's super telling that Colangelo first goes to Dean Smith, Carolina, you know, the Carolina guy, and obviously Lay Brown from that tree. And Dean Smith says, you need to go coach, be coach Kate, the guy you need to go get, you know, like that to me, I think, you know, like, I don't think it was a big point in the movie, but I think it was one of those things that to me said volumes. It's very you know? telling. It's extremely yeah. telling because that's your rival. It's your chief yeah. rival from a college standpoint. And it would be yeah. very easy. It's not like there aren't plenty of respected coaches on his side of that. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so for Dean Smith, the who, you know, really was sort of like he and John Wooden are more or less the two, if you'll forgive the pun, deans of coaching from the college perspective. Uh that's as good an endorsement as you can receive. 
Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, uh, yeah. So on the whole, I think we're we're in on the redeem team, right? Like, yeah, um, I, you know, I, I like basketball. That's right. If you Our if you like basketball is. and and you're whatsoever a historian of the last twenty five years of basketball, I think it's really it's an enjoyable watch for sure. I did think there were a couple things missing. Most to me, most notably, um, how this may have led to uh, the Heat. Uh, yeah. you know, yeah. situation a few years later, um, you know, the banana boat stuff, all, you know, yeah. like, like all of that, you know? Um, right. That's a good point. I it, didn't it even think right of that. By that. Yeah. Um, which to me would have been fruitful, but I'm guessing that executive producers, uh, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James and Maverick well, Carter just didn't want to get into it. I don't know. Maybe, but you know, they did say, I mean, all three of them, mellow, because, you know, there was a time when Mello was – it was Mello and not Bosch. And I think Bosch even mentioned it right. in the doc, too. And, and Paul's in the group, too, you know what I mean? Like, right? Yeah. That's, that's the banana boat, right? Right. Well, so. and and Paul and James have, have spoken openly about, you know, wishing they could have played together at some point, right? So um, mm-hmm. I, I do think they all said something about the fact that, you know, from the beginning, even on the teams that were losing – that playing on these teams was, you know, the source of a, a significant bond between those guys. Um, yeah, Which, yeah. you know, you could it's connect the secret. dots. Yeah, exactly. It's not a secret. And they do talk a little bit about some of the bonds that were formed in the Vegas training camps and, um, yeah. you know, in the Olympic Village. I love the segment about them going to watch other sports. I thought that was actually pretty cool, too. I agree, and um, I remember that. I remember how it was noteworthy and, you know, almost weird that you were seeing the, you know, high-profile American basketball players just sitting in the stands with, with everybody for Michael Phelps and, and, like, some of the random stuff, too, you know, like field hockey or whatever. Yeah, how God, how bad would it suck to have be sat behind those guys? Yeah, that would be a bummer, but also pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, good story, good story. Didn't get to see the Olympics, but you know, right? I got some cool photos. Bad, <laughs> bad view, good story. <laughs> All right, let's um, let's move on to. I don't. We don't. We, we we were talking about this pre-show. We don't actually know the way to pronounce this because it hasn't come up at least in the part of the show that I've watched yet. Shantaram? Shantaram? Um, yeah, I mean, look, I've watched all of it, and I still don't think the word has come up. And there are four episodes out. So, uh, you know, I don't know if we're ever going to find out what the hell that means. So I only watched Or maybe one. they are saying it, but it's just one of the, like, uh, you know, Indian location words that I'm I'm not totally <laughs> catching uh, yeah. the alliteration, the, uh, the, uh, not alliteration, enunciation of. Um, I only watched one, uh, but having watched the one, I can understand how you watched them all. Um, it's... this show had me, had me at prison escape. basically. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, I, it was really only like somewhere in the middle of the fourth episode that I had to admit to myself that I enjoy this show because I have to say I am pretty constantly confused about what the hell we're doing here (laughs) (laughs) that that seems fair like i'm fairly confused about what's the elevator pitch for this show 
I mean, I guess the elevator pitch I know, but what's the one paragraph description? Because yeah, the elevator no, no, pitch no is like, you know, escaped uh, escaped convict who's actually a, a decent guy flees to India in the 80s. Right. But, Tries to stay lost. <laughs> yeah. Trying to lose himself or whatever. But it gets into, gets into more trouble, I'm presuming. Yeah. Well, yeah, except that, like, to what I don't know. I guess there's there's no obvious reason that this particular guy's story is compelling. You know, I'm fond of saying when people say things like, uh, well, that all just seems like awfully coincidental to happen. I, I'm fond of saying, well, right. And like 99.9% of the time, that's not what happened. And those are the ones they don't make the movie about. You know, like I'm never too bothered by storyline falling into place and there's just there is no obvious compelling reason to care about this dude (laughs) other than the world is incredibly well drawn and it's sort of a transportive like drop you into bombay in the 80s experience and charlie hunnam is charming enough and the other characters are extremely charming so i'm in I don't know why or what's going on exactly, but I'm in. Um, yeah, me too. And I think it's, um, uh, you know, I think there's a, a fair amount riding on the just sort of baseline charm of Charlie Hunnam. You yes. know what I mean? Like, um, you know, I think if you're talking about an elevator pitch, it's a lot of like, we're going to let the guy who kind of carried Sons of Anarchy cook. <laughs> you know He's I mean? cooking, man. Yeah. I, I, when I said he's charming enough, I meant to carry the whole show, not like he's barely charming. Um, yeah. He really, as far as do I believe that this guy, and you do find out more about what he got arrested for and how it all went down, that this guy, who seems to be a decent-hearted person, was in like a an upsetting Australian prison that he felt compelled to escape from and then traveled to India and met some people and charmed them and seems to be establishing his, uh, his own bizarre life here. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm buying it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm buying it. I'll be in for more. So that's, um, that's really a credit to him. Yeah. All right, let's jump to documentary now, because I'm mostly just curious, uh, as, as we've talked about the show in various incarnations over the course of the season, um, I'm mostly curious about where you landed. Uh, I'll start with, Are you, were you familiar with the, um, and all with the documentary being parody? Um, I've not seen it, but from the first minute of of uh soldier of illusion i was aware that this was uh a Werner herzog parody and when the when dieter arrived i knew that that was supposed to be klaus kinski like i i know who they are um and i understand those characters that were being parodied and i thought both of the performances were incredibly effective yeah yeah, no, I mean, I think Skarsgård is doing, <laughs> doing his Herzog accent was exceptional. Um, <laughs> I mean, he has some built-in advantages, but he was exceptional. And his whole, I thought the way he played 
the old version versus the young version was really great. And I thought just the way he handled himself as Werner Herzog was was good and funny. Um, here's what I would say about documentary now. And I this locked in for me somewhere in the middle of the second episode, uh, which is just more of the same, really. Um, except you get the Dieter performance, which wasn't really an episode one, right? Right. Yeah, that guy who's a German guy that has had a couple of big American roles was yeah he pops up at the very end i believe but you're not really getting the whole thing you know he was very good and and that portion of it was good and funny and like i get it it the parody is is pretty good i do think there's something what the, the analogy that occurred to me is like i think documentary now for me is in many ways like the onion um the in the newspaper, I'm assuming. Yes. The headline is the best part, really. And, like, it's a little different with a TV show because it's not the title. But, like, most of the individual jokes are good. But it's just, like, not quite uh, – there's so much filler that just, like, it – I don't know. I kind of feel like I've wasted my time at the end of the episodes, even though there are laughs in them and and it's a really they're really artful, clever parodies, you know? But it's just to me it doesn't carry its own weight at the mm. end of the day. So like there were a couple of things in this that I specifically wrote notes on because they were so funny. Um, <laughs> when they were burning themselves in effigy. And you saw that part, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, the like, Ushkur lady said that is not the proper way to cook a potato. <laughs> uh, you... You didn't get to see these other two, so I'm going to slightly spoil two of the jokes for you. But that's fine. When they are shooting the pilot for uh, what's it called, uh, Bachelor Nanny, and uh, there have it. There's this scene where, um, you know, the two main characters, the Herzog, uh, Herzog, and the and the Klaus Kinski character Dieter, are having a conversation about his motivations. And it's a scene where they think they're going to have to change the baby's diapers. And the whole conversation is like about, okay, well, what are, what's my motivation? What are my hopes? And it basically ends with Skarsgård saying to him very seriously, you're hoping for urine. (laughs) (laughs) And then the line is, okay. Let's hope this is not a close encounter of the poopy kind. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, there's a scene where they're talking about as they shoot the pilot. He goes, he goes, the studio would not let us have a local audience. <laughs> and 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 he's like they insisted on flying down you know a hundred people from 
the suburb of Woodland Hills. And he has this map of Los Angeles and he points to Woodland Hills. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, though I hate their corpulent ignorance, I must agree. They do make the best test audiences. <laughs> <laughs> like I laughed out loud at that one in particular. <laughs> so like, I'm not mad at documentary now, although why yeah, Fred Armisen like is that. awkwardly shoehorned into every episode, uh, I'll never know. But <laughs> he he had no reason to be there. But um, I just I'm not gonna. This is not a show I'm gonna watch regularly because ultimately, I feel like you know there's ten jokes in the hour of television that I really like, and then a lot of like filler that I get that you need to sort of support the parody but it's just I don't know it becomes a little tedious at, at certain mm. points it's almost like too me. good just, as a as yeah. a parody of a mediocre documentary you know the the jokes the jokes hold up for me um and I do like because you know you you mentioned a couple I really like when he's like describing earnestly like in that directory way like trying to describe bachelor Danny yeah um, yeah you know, and he's like, like ultimately, like he's really trying to balance between babies and babes. But yeah, like, yeah. In that- <laughs> but he's very serious, right? Very and like that is funny. Yeah. I, I I completely agree. And you know, ultimately, again, I'm spoiling. Uh, so you know, sorry to you. And if you don't want to know this, you shouldn't listen to me. But you know, Bachelor Nanny goes on to like be nominated for Emmys, which of course is completely ridiculous. Um, and you know, I, like, there's all this time going through the the Bachelor Nanny was eventually nominated for Emmy Awards and da da da, and it's just like I I get it and I and I understand why for the purposes of this parody that is what happened, but also like you're wasting my time. <laughs> yeah, right there. Uh, the one thing I would say uh, about this, and maybe some of it goes to to sort of the weight of this, right? The, the seasons are pretty short like this is a six episode season yeah um and i do find it it's it's a more compelling watch when i when i know the documentary they're parrying like um you know they're gonna do when we were kings and my octopus teacher this season yeah um, and look maybe i'll watch I'll those probably if... get a lot more out of those episodes you know what I mean? so I, I, um, yeah yeah maybe that's the case but but i can already see in my head the parts of my octopus teacher parody that are going to be tedious. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like there are going to be funny jokes and then there are going to be like awkwardly long scenes of somebody making love to an animal. Right. Like, (laughs) yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, my, my octopus teacher is, is the documented that just sort of invites parody. I feel like and of course he's going to do it. Sooner yeah, later, of right? course. And, and they're the right ones to do it. And I'm sure it will be good. I might even watch it. I'm just saying I can already imagine the ways in which it will waste my time. <laughs> like, All right, is up. it, he, this is a perfect, my octopus teacher is the perfect example to talk about because like, am I, there are going to be jokes that make me laugh. Is there going to be anything significantly funnier than all the stuff I've already seen on Twitter. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Stay tuned. Documentary Stay tuned. now. <laughs> um, all right. And then uh, last but not least, what, what the, what, what's the other thing we haven't talked about yet? Hold on. There we go. Um, it's... Welcome to Wrexham. 
that's yeah. What, that's what we got to talk about. Yeah. We got to talk about Welcome to Wrexham. I, um, I, f- I think it's probably just insane or and absurd to say that this is the best show on television or it was for the last two months because that seems extreme for, for what it is. But that's honestly pretty much how I felt. There was nothing I was more excited to watch. Like, on on the the weeks I could stay up late enough, I was throwing it on at midnight when it dropped on Hulu on Wednesday nights. It was the perfect sports behind-the-scenes documentary show. It tugged at the heartstrings. It told the story of a town. It told the story of a team. It was competition. It was celebrity and and like new excitement around the team. It broke my fucking heart <laughs> when they did not win promotion. It just shattered me. I was crushed. I felt like I yeah. was in the stands. And I thought they handled it great, both – Ryan Reynolds and, and Rob McElhaney and then also most of the fans like I just hope we get to see them promoted on the next season of Welcome to Wrexham and I almost want to avoid following the actual team but also I want to follow the team desperately <laughs> like yeah. I'm I'm I very torn you, I have I have looked at the National League table once or twice this season just <laughs> I just looked I looked when I finally when I watched the finale I looked for the first time at the Wrexham website which frankly Rob and Ryan it could be better um and I they're they're very near the top of the table I think number 2 when I looked uh so it's looking good but I almost don't want to look again so that assuming there's another season of the show, I can live and die with the results in the same way because it was really part of my love of, of this whole experience. I thought yeah. watching this show was as good a, a media experience as I've had uh, this year. Right, and it could have been something that was just crass and awful and the, you know, a promotional vehicle for their sponsors. And at times, you know, they did some of that. We talked about but... hagiography, right? And, and this... Instead of being the hagiographic thing it could have been, this made jokes of the ways in which it had to do some sponsory stuff to actually increase the profile of the team and, like, do a good thing. And ultimately, like, these guys are doing a good thing. And, you know, for their sakes, hopefully they'll make plenty of money down the road. But but I don't think they have to convince anyone at this point that they're in it for more than money. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, like when, when, when they failed to get promotion in the, you know, uh, I guess it's the semifinals there, right? There was the yeah, the count. playoff semifinals. Yeah, like you are, you're sad, but not for Rob or Ryan and not even really for the players. Like you're just sad for the town. <laughs> yes. You know I mean? like, yeah. That's, you know, um, and that's like, I think it's. It, just a tremendous job of, of storytelling and it just this whole show goes to like the heart of like why do we watch sports and yes. what, what does the team mean to a town um and i think it so artfully shows that so much of the time and i think it's really it's a lot it's a credit to the to the people of, of Rexham. you know yes what I mean? and, and i will say they're this. so good at showing you what it means to them you know a hundred percent 
and, and and I think again for the most part they all like com- compo- comport themselves well for the very most part, um, despite what you might call an over the top obsession with a, a sports team. Like most of them, you re- can really identify with and really like feel for and want them to have the promotion they've so desperately wanted. And I will say this too: it's a tremendous credit to Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney, or perhaps to uh, Humphrey Kerr, that they found the right squad. Yeah. They found the right town with the right team to pursue the specific – because it's a pretty specific thing they were thinking of doing when they bought this team, and and they found the right one. Yeah. I think they did a really good job, and and you look at the people that they brought in – you know what I mean? Um, uh, Parkinson, the manager, and, and uh, I think it's Sean Harvey, right, is the yep. uh, the guy that's kind of is running, you know, doing a lot of the CEO job. Like, he's great. Um, and I, I just, uh, yeah, everyone is charming. I also love the, the, like, un, un-chironed, unlabeled appearances of Blake Lively and Caitlin Olsen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm You're just. I thought, I thought there would be more Blake Lively, to be honest. Um, yeah, it, it. Well, there was so little of her that it was to the point where, when she finally showed up on screen for for like a split second, I was like, "Oh, that's nice." Ryan's wife came, and then I was like, "Wait a second, <laughs> that's fucking Blake Lively." Yeah, that's I not mean, just his. That's just just someone we don't know that's married to Ryan Reynolds. That's Blake Lively. It, it made me very happy because I noticed in real time when they were at Webley um, that Caitlin turned around to hug uh, Rob. Yes. He was talking Ryan Reynolds. Incredible And I'm moment. so glad that they relived that moment in future episodes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, this show is uh, it's, it's delightful. I don't think you need to care at all about soccer or no. sports to care about it. So no. I would recommend it to anyone. And, honestly, if you're someone who is like, gosh, soccer is really boring. There's so many uh, boring parts and so few exciting parts. Well, they've fixed that for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that part at all. They do not show the boring parts. So uh, you will enjoy this. It's really all about people. And there are some really charming and wonderful people from, you know, two famous actors on down to the guy that owns the pub outside the stadium. Yeah. Yeah. It's on to like five-year-old kids. Oh, yeah. There's a couple of really excellent (laughs) five-year-olds. So, yeah, can't wait for more. Um, And and you're right. Maybe I need to not pay attention to what Wrexham is doing this season. Although – I knew I knew going in that they weren't getting promotion, so right. uh, it didn't really affect my enjoyment of the of the show at all. So yeah, um, and honestly, like it, I, I imagine even knowing they weren't getting promotion, just to see it go down the way it did was heartbreaking, man. It was, man. And that's the thing is, it's like you know, you talk about them being in second place right now, but as we learned, like second place that only gets you so far. Yep, it only gets you so far. Um, um, that said, they were in like tenth at this point last year, and it was work to get to second. So you know, second maybe they can get up to first. Yeah, it'd be nice to see them qualify uh, automatically. You know, so um, you know, and most leagues take three up. Um, so that's a, yet another another challenge for them. 
Um, I, and, and I wonder. And if we... By the way, this show also does an incredible job of illustrating why the promotion relegation system is so far superior to what we do in American sports for not just the drama it creates. Um, and obviously, look, for the town of Wrexham, it's they're upsetting things about the promotion and relegation system because they got relegated they're the hell down them. here, yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. At the same time, I think a concept that's really driven home here is that, you know, in the in a magical fantasy Happy Land world, there's nothing stopping Wrexham from playing in the Premier League. And right. while that is... Right. You know what I mean? And while that's so. wildly unrealistic, it it really helped me lock in. And of course I was aware of this, but but from like an experiential standpoint, it helped me lock in how particularly in these small towns across the UK, the football team is meaningful beyond anything we can really even understand as American sports fans. Because it's like if the Birmingham Barons or, you know, Poughkeepsie Mudhens or whatever, if they just got the right guys in and played well enough, could end up playing at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. And that look, that hope and possibility, you can see how important um, it is. To, yeah. to those people and it, it, it you know i mean obviously that was the driving force behind all the protests against the proposed super league um you know last year and or, you know it's going to be interesting because there's going to be a point where the majority of premier league teams are owned by americans right um and a lot of people think that they have the potential to vote in a block and potentially to try to eliminate relegation and promotion so um Oof. You know, this is going to be one of those things that I think uh, you'll see it, it's specter raised again at uh, some point within the next five to ten years. I mean, so. you know, even referring to them uh, like by the characterization of Americans infuriates me in that aspect because nothing is more anti-capitalistic than getting rid of relegation and promotion. Um, literally, all it does from a business standpoint is encourage you to succeed. So... Screw you, American billionaires. <laughs> um, yeah. You already ruined everything over here. Please don't go ruin other people's sports. I think that there's, uh, there are benefits to closed leagues. I'm not, um, you know, I, like, I love relegation promotion and um, wouldn't mind seeing it in more American sports, but I also understand why it doesn't exist. I, listen, and, I'm not going to tell you there is not a, there are not benefits to closed leagues. I think I will tell you there is no benefit to closing a league that has existed open for literally over a hundred years. Right, right, and the Super League wouldn't have done that, by the way. Um, I know Super League would just, but you, that's what you were just league. talking about is the potential for Correct. them to vote for that. Yeah, and that still exists, so we'll see as see as we go. But that's probably too far into soccer weeds for a show like this. Anyway, just... yeah, the Welcome to Wrexham requires none of that analysis. It is just yeah. excellent television, just truly excellent and. I, as great as some of the narrative stuff we've watched this year has been, I think any show will be hard pressed for me to feel like it was better than that one this year. Yeah, we're not we're not too far from being able to do our top ten list of the year, and it's just hard for me. I can't see a world in which this isn't on it, and probably 100%. top five. Yeah, so. and and can I add to that? 
Um, a show that definitely will not be on it is a show that you might have heard of called The House of the Dragon, I believe. Oh! <laughs> the, the, the House of the Dragoon, is it called? What is that air on? Is that... Uh... Can I can I find that show? I, I, you know. Yeah, um, no, you can find it. I'm not sure you can find any compelling reason to watch it, but you can find it. Wow, you were you were that far out. On, I mean, on the House of the Dragon. I'm I'm being deliberately extreme, but I I really don't think this is a very good show. I'm an episode behind for full disclosure, so no spoilers. But I just don't find it very good i really mm. don't and i think it lacks so many of the aspects that made game of thrones so good well i, I think i like to show more than you do yeah. um but but i would also say that so much about what makes it compelling is simply that you watch this other show that was great and that they're are so many elements of it here that there's a possibility that it grows into something equally great but it's yeah. also very apparent that it's it's not that currently. You know no. what I mean? Yeah. yeah, and I think like to assume that it could grow into that is almost like season one Game of Thrones erasure because if anything, Game of Thrones went the other direction over time. Like the first two or three seasons were inarguably the most compelling seasons. Right? Ooh, see, I feel like three, four, kind of. I would say, like, I feel like Game of Thrones grew a little bit and then started to to come down. But I could be wrong. Maybe a little, uh, I but could, I, could, I, it was incorrectly. I I just feel like it. I remember being very attached to Eddard Stark in my own way by the end of season one, like, mm. or, if not attached, like he was ingrained. His his death was a shock. And, yeah. like, mattered. And there's not one person on this show that I think would die, and I'd be like, oh, right now. Not one person. Yeah, no, so, I'm, some I'm rooting for them to die. Yeah, um, most of them. But, and, by the way, they probably <laughs> will in the next two episodes because we're going to jump forward in time again. Yeah, I, I just, um, you know, Game of Thrones was so expansive, right, in telling the stories of all these houses and families and a battle for this throne, whereas this so far has been the story of a family and it's a family. It's not so great. So no, <laughs> like, uh, no. that create that does create some challenges. So. Yeah. Anyway, we weren't even supposed to talk about that, but that's my quick, uh, this show is not very good. Check-in on house of the dragon. <laughs> All right. Do we need to do a final season check-in on the house of the dragons when it ends? Or do you think that's going to suffice? No, I mean maybe. Let's see how it goes. Like I said, I'm an episode behind. Maybe it got much better, and I I'm, I'm I sound like a big idiot. Yep. All right. Well, this is the first uh, full week that I'm here for a while, so we got a little bit bigger plate of homework for you um, this week. Uh, we're gonna start with a show that everybody's talking about. Have you you started correct, or you no. just seen the previews? Um, I just saw the previews um, of The Watcher on uh, Netflix. Um. So uh, we'll jump into that. There's also Raymond and Ray, which is a Ewan McGregor. Who was the other person in Raymond and Ray? Ethan Hawke. Somebody Hawk. else. Ethan Hawke. That's correct. As brothers. 
uh, movie on Apple Plus. And by the way, as I said to you beforehand, I'm just excited to watch Ewan McGregor act normal again instead of as Obi-Wan, which is like the one thing he seems incapable of doing. <laughs> I talked to some people who like liked Obi-Wan, and I'm very disturbed by it. that. Yeah, it's confusing. Uh, yes. Um, we're also going to watch From Scratch, uh, which is a Netflix limited series. Um executive produced by Zoe Zaldana and Reese Witherspoon, among others, and starring Zoe, uh, along with Daniel Deadweiler and Keith David and some other folks. Um, that, as I said, is on Netflix. And Top Gun Maverick has made it home. Um, so uh, Colsey's going to watch it. I saw it in the theater, but Colsey's going to watch it, and we're going to kind of uh, do a little check-in on that. Uh, plus, uh, as we said earlier, another big episode of The Challenge that I think we're looking forward to. Um, so yeah, there's your homework this week. That's a lot on our plate. Uh, but I'm ready to take it on and talk with you next week. Let's do it. Bye. This game's in the Admiral refrigerator. The door is closed. The lights out. Butter's getting hard. The eggs are cooling and the jello is jiggling. So long everybody. And do me a favor. Have yourself a tremendous evening.